0: Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. You know those people that just seem to have everything go their way. They seem to get it all in life. Maybe they're the smartest person, the wisest person, the most talented, or most successful, those people that also just seem to have also like a little bit of luck go their way. Why is it that we're obsessed with watching these people get humbled and lose something? I don't, I don't, I don't really understand, but I, I'll tell you this. A few years ago, I was having the great pleasure of watching one of these individuals lose. It was February 5th, 2017, Super Bowl 51. You gonna go there with me? You going back? The Atlanta Falcons made it to the Super Bowl. It was a Christmas miracle after Christmas. And the Atlanta Falcons were playing against the New England Patriots. And if you remember this game, they jumped out to a soaring lead. And going into the fourth quarter, the Atlanta Falcons were up by three possessions. And they were about to take down the New England Patriots. And this individual I'm talking about, the GOAT, as he would refer to himself. I don't think he refers to himself, but Tom Brady. I was so excited to watch Tom Brady lose. I mean, we had the perfect spread, too. We had nachos, pizza, wings. Our house was full of people. It was awesome. And for whatever reason, the Atlanta Falcons did what every Georgia team was known for during this era. I don't know why Georgia teams were doing this, but they would always jump out to a lead. And what happened in the fourth quarter? They gave up the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. And at the end of the game, there he was again, Tom Brady holding up the trophy for the world's greatest team and winning the most valuable player award all over again. I wanna vomit in my mouth just talking about it. Makes me absolutely sick. And listen, I'm not a Falcons fan. I don't like the Falcons at all. I'm just anybody who plays against Tom Brady, I'm that, I'm that team's fan for that day. We love, for whatever reason, those people who seem to win or get it all, we love to watch them fall and maybe, maybe you're a better Christian than me. Maybe, maybe you don't, maybe you don't have that thought, but maybe you have this second thought. And all of us who are, who, who feel that feeling of jealousy and want to watch them fall, we join you at step two, where first we want to see them fall. But second, we want to learn from them. Isn't that horrible? Like I can't stand you. I hate you. I want to see you lose. Can you teach me how you're so good at that? <laughs> like, can, can you teach me your way? Show me the way we're going through this series, chasing the wind this month And we're looking at the life of King Solomon and King Solomon was this individual. He was was known for his wisdom, but his wisdom brought him great success. He had success in Israel. He had riches and possessions. He had everything that anyone could ever want. And in this book that we're gonna look at today, Ecclesiastes, we actually get to hear from Solomon at the end of his life as an old teacher who's sitting here saying, look, I've had everything you think you want. I've observed everything that you think that you want in life. If there's something out there to achieve, I've achieved it. If there's something out there to possess, I've possessed it. If there's something out there to experience, I have experienced it. And here is what I've observed. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible where he shares his observations at the end of life for all of us to be able to take in. And rather than find out that all the things that we think we want, rather than him say, these will all make your life better, what we actually get is a really bitter observation from King Solomon. We get a bitter observation about all the things that we think will make us happy. And before we read from Ecclesiastes, I actually wanna share something that I saw from an interview with Tom Brady. Again, this guy has had the accomplishments that most people would want, but he was in an interview with 60 Minutes after winning his third Super Bowl. He's won a few since then. And this is what was said in the interview. This is Tom Brady's words. He said, there's times where I'm not the person that I wanna be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? i mean maybe a lot of people would say hey man this is what it is i reached my goal my dream my life but me i think god it's got to be more than this i mean this can't be what it's all cracked up to be i mean i've done it and what else is there for me the the person interviewing him asked well what's the answer and tom brady said i wish i knew i wish i knew What a bitter observation and a bitter taste after accomplishing what he has set out as really his life's mission. He has rearranged his life around this career, and he has experienced so much success. It sounds so similar to how our old teacher Solomon would start this book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter one, verse two, he said, everything is meaningless, says the teacher completely meaningless. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. A bitter observation after experiencing everything. And that word meaningless, that's really our best way to try and and help us understand what he was feeling, but it doesn't do justice to the original language. Because the word in the original language would actually translate as breath or vapor to signify that everything under the sun, it's here for a moment and then completely gone the next. And it's like chasing the wind that continues to be here and then gone. It's as if this old teacher saying what you hear from people who are a step ahead of you in life all the time, that you'll hear this phrase, it goes fast. It goes fast. This teacher is saying, here's what I've observed. It goes fast. And another bitter observation that he had is that we all have the same ending to this meaningless life that's but a vapor. In chapter nine of this book, he describes death. And listen to this bitter observation of death that you and I could so resonate with. He says the same destiny ultimately awaits everyone. Whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious, good people receive the same treatment as sinners. And people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course for they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyways." this bitter observation, that life, it's so quick and then it's gone. And death is a reality that all of us have to come to terms with. And we can do our best to suppress that thought or to put it away or to try to run from that reality, that bitter reality that's coming for every single one of us. We can put it away, but we cannot escape it. No matter how much you do to try to numb it, no matter how far you run, you cannot escape the reality of death. It's going to come and remind you in your own life, in your own health, in your own situation, or surprise in a moment, or it will touch you by the the people that you care about right around you. This year alone, I lost my grandfather in March. I had been super fortunate throughout my life. All four of my grandparents were alive and well, but I lost my grandfather in March. Then in June, my dad had two strokes. My dad, who had been in incredible health up until that point, had two strokes. And at the end of the summer, he had open heart surgery, triple bypass surgery. And God's working and he's he's doing okay, but the reality is it was scary and and it's putting a reality that my dad, who I love, who's in great health, he's not gonna live forever either. And then in September, my brother gets in a car accident. I drive up to Nashville as I hear about the accident because we don't know if he's gonna make it. And the first responders who actually showed up to the scene were shocked when they found out that he did make it. That's just, just this year alone. And I know I'm just sharing my experience. I have prayed with and talked with many of you who've come in contact with death in your own life and had to face this bitter reality that everyone is going to die. Now our teacher Solomon, he uses this this reality to be a teacher and he encourages in his book that wise people actually think about death often. They don't suppress it or run from it, they allow it to teach them. And Solomon in his wisdom had a choice to find out if that's the bitter ending that's coming, how do I make the most of life? How do I experience the best life possible? Solomon was known for his wisdom because at the start of his leadership, he had an opportunity to ask God for anything and he asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. He granted that request. So Solomon had wisdom from God, spiritual wisdom, but there's also wisdom out in the world. And Solomon did what so many of us, what really all of us choose to do. He had the choice for godly wisdom or worldly wisdom. And he thought, I'm gonna try out the worldly wisdom and just see. I'm gonna see if that's got the best life possible for me. And today what we're gonna do as we start the series is we're gonna go through chapter two together. And chapter two of Ecclesiastes is what I like to call the dumb tax chapter. You know what the dumb tax is? You ever heard that phrase? The dumb tax is when somebody goes before you and they try things and, and make mistakes along the way and kind of learn and they share their observations and they pay that dumb tax so that when you go next, you don't have to take the same path. You don't have to make the same mistakes. And that's what chapter two of Ecclesiastes is, is Solomon says, look, I tried out this worldly wisdom and I paid the dumb tax, so I wanna share these observations with you. And we're gonna go through them list by list, but the big idea for point one today is this, that life without God has a bitter ending. Life without God has a bitter ending. Solomon observed that everyone's gonna die, but then he, deserved, he, he started to observe, what can I do to have the best life possible? And he attempted to chase things without God he attempted to chase things outside of the boundaries of God to see if that would make life better. But instead with each of these observations, he continued to have a bitter taste left. The first that he chased is the first that we all chased and that is that he chased pleasure. He looked at it and said, look, if, if I'm only going to live so long, I want to experience everything that I possibly can experience. And this isn't just worldly wisdom, this is part of like our fallen nature that every single one of us have, the sinful nature that every single one of us have, that we desire the things that our flesh wants. This starts with my one-year-old, right? That there's a desire there for pleasure. And here's Solomon's observation. Ecclesiastes chapter two, verse one. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life, but I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter's silly, what good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched to foolishness. In this way, I, ex- I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Carrying on in verse 10, he says, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. If there was an experience that Solomon was drawn to, he didn't let himself wonder, I wonder what it would be like. He went ahead and indulged in every pleasure that he possibly could to, 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 in order to see, will this give me the best life? But his observation was that this too was meaningless. Pleasure in our flesh has such a way of misleading us, of leading us to what we think that we want, what we think will be best. And we, we have a way of like weighing that up against godly wisdom and saying, well, God, I'm not sure because I, I feel like this decision is gonna make my life best. I remember when I was eight years old. Okay, so I have, I have three older brothers. I was eight years old. Uh, my brothers, I don't remember if it was all three of them or if it was my oldest. My oldest brother was 10 years older than me. He was 18. And um, the movie, The Sixth Sense, have you ever heard of this movie? The Sixth Sense had, had come out on uh, VHS. You know what that is? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some of you. Um, so I don't know if we had rented it, the family had rented it, or, um, or, or if we had bought it. And I don't want to throw my parents under the bus because I don't remember. I think maybe my older brother had it. But all I remember is they talked about it a lot. And I wasn't allowed to watch it, all right? Which is a good thing. Uh, I was eight. But I wasn't allowed to watch it, but I just kept being like, man, I wonder what it's like. I wondered, like, this sounds awesome. They're all kind of like, they've got their inside jokes. I want to be a part of this. This is awesome. They're talking about it. And so when I was eight, my parents, uh, they left me home alone for the first time, okay? And don't worry, we had a home phone, and so I could call granny or anything. But I just remember there was finally the moment I was there alone. And I, I remember as soon as everyone left, my flesh wanted it. You ever seen the Jumanji? It was like, "do. Do, do. I'm like, I can feel the VHS just calling my name. So I go get the sixth sense and uh, I, I then go to the pantry, get some food. I, I remember this vividly just because of the, the details. I grab a full box, unopened of vanilla wafers. It was awesome. And I remember I, I put the VHS in. I don't wanna spoil the movie for you, but it's about dead people, okay? And I watched this movie and I am terrified the whole time, but I'm trying to be brave. Like I'm like, no, you gotta, you gotta tough through this. Your brothers did it, your brothers, you gotta do this. You gotta do this. I was so nervous, I ate the whole box of vanilla wafers, gone. And today, you won't see vanilla wafers in my house. I think I'm scared of them now, too. It did not satisfy. It did not satisfy. So many times in our life, there are things like experiences that, that are calling us And, and when we try them, what we find out time and time again, outside of the boundaries that God placed is when we go after pleasure or experiences that he didn't deem best or that he didn't give towards us, we find that they leave us broken and empty. They don't do what we thought it's meaningless, like chasing the wind. And that's what Solomon observed. And so after Solomon observed this, he did what most of us do, where we we start to mature and understand, I can't just listen to every indulgence that my flesh wants. We start to mature and recognize that doesn't always lead to the best path. So he went where we go next, which was to possessions. Let's look at verse four and five. He said, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards I made green gardens and parks, or I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit and trees. I had everything a man could desire, he says in verse nine. I had everything a man could desire. And if you read the whole chapter, you'll see like the list goes on. He had everything a man could desire, riches and possessions. He continued to build on and build on and build on. And his observation goes to the same place that it continued to be meaningless, it continued to be like chasing the wind. I've heard this idea that we've, we've all really given ourselves to this bitter, false truth that we would find satisfaction in life if we had just a little bit more of what we have today. Like if we had just a little bit more, a little bit bigger of a house, a little bit more pay, a little bit more stuff we'd finally be satisfied and it's this endless chasing of this vapor of this wind of chasing after these possessions i think i've shared this before but i'd heard about a son a young kid who would ask his dad he said dad when i grow up if i make fifty thousand dollars a year is that a lot of money will that be a lot of money finally i'm making fifty thousand dollars a year and the dad so wisely said son $50,000 a year is a lot of money until you make it. That is a lot of money until you make it. Solomon tried to pursue possessions and what he found is they didn't satisfy. Just like you and I find, we can go after the bigger house, the better pay, the more stuff. And it may momentarily make us happy but it's not going to satisfy. So then maybe we wise up, just like Solomon, and we mature to the next phase, which was in his work and in his accomplishments. He looked at his life and he said, look, if pleasure's not going to fulfill me and stuff's not going to fulfill me, then I at least want to make a difference with my life. I want to do work that matters. I wanna leave something behind in this world where I can be remembered. In Ecclesiastes 2, sorry, the second half of verse 10, he says, I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile. There was nothing really worthwhile. We're in this time in history post the pandemic where we're seeing this great resignation, right? And if, if you look into it, you, you'd find that last year, 2021, 47 million Americans quit their jobs. 47 million Amer- Americans quit their jobs in 2021. And many of them might cite pay or flexible work options, but the majority of them, the majority of them shared that what really happened was during the COVID-19 pandemic, people took a step back and they wanted to find purpose in their life. And so they started to chase something different that could bring fulfillment or purpose within their work, which seems good and and it isn't necessarily a bad thing. But when that becomes the chase and that becomes the goal, what Solomon observed is that you're gonna come to the same meaningless bitter taste. The same meaningless bitter taste when you get to the end of that, he actually observed later on in this chapter, he started to share like everything that he had built with his hard work, this wealth, he would eventually, as he reaches that bitter reality of death, have to hand it to someone who never worked to build it in the first place. And who knows if they'll even be able to carry on that legacy or if it will go away immediately. And actually the Bible tells us and gives us a clue of what happens. His son, Rehoboam, who would follow him, it says that he squandered all of Solomon's riches. It was stolen away from a foreign enemy. It took one generation for all of this stuff that Solomon built to be gone. (laughs) For all of it to be gone. So meaningless, like chasing the wind. So Solomon's left in this book, just with these big questions. Okay, my life is so short, death is reality. How do I make sure that I don't just have a bitter life? How do I have the best life possible? I try pleasure, it's bitter. I try gaining stuff, riches, possessions, it's bitter. I try to find purpose in my accomplishments and my works, but it is the same bitter taste. One of Jesus' followers, John, he wrote this about the wisdom of the world and and the bitterness that it brings in the New Testament. In 1 John chapter two, he said this. He said, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. This is what he says. And it it goes right on with Solomon's dumb tax of chapter two, the progression that we all start seeking for or grasping for. He says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, the possessions we don't have, the just a little bit more that we could have, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world, and this world is fading away. This world has a bitter end as well, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Other translations with that verse describe those three as the, or the, uh, the lust of the flesh, those pleasures that, that we seek or we crave, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the possessions that we, that we cling out for, that we crave, and the pride of life. The pride that we need to have accomplished something on our own power and strength. And actually, these three very things that Solomon struggled with are the three temptations that Satan brought to Jesus when Jesus was here on earth. See, Jesus, when he was here on earth, right before his public ministry began, he took 40 days to fast and and pray in the wilderness in preparation. At the end of that time, Satan arrived to tempt him. And he started with these three. He started with pleasure, with the lust of the flesh. Jesus was fasting. And so he tempted Jesus by saying, hey, you have the ability to turn that stone into bread. You could, you could please your flesh right now. But Jesus knew that that was, that was wisdom of the world. He had an assignment within the boundaries of what God was asking him to do. And so instead, he, he, he battled back and, and he used scripture. He said, "A man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. And he was able to overcome the lust of the flesh, the pleasures. He didn't chase the wind and give into this meaningless moment. So Satan moves on from that and he goes to the lust of the eyes, to the possessions. What Satan does is he takes him to this high point and he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. He shows him everything and he says, Jesus, here's here's, here's what we can do. If you will bow down and worship me, I'll give all of this to you right now. You don't have to take this long road. And Jesus was in a long road because what he was doing is he was serving a world that would eventually crucify him, a world that he was going to be king over, but he would submit himself to a crucifixion. And this was the short way out to say, don't wait the hard way for all that possessions. Take it now. You can have it now. Just like the enemy does with you and me. He tries to get us to bow to so many things in culture and in our lives that are not God so that we can possess so that we can possess more right now. But Jesus overcame that as well. And the final approach from the enemy was the pride of life. He took him to the top of the temple. He said, look, if you really are the son of God, then you have the ability right now. I want you to jump off this thing and command the angels to catch you. Show everybody how good you are. Show everybody how powerful you are. But Jesus knew it wasn't time. It wasn't time. He had to trust in God's ultimate plan, and he was able to overcome this chasing of the wind, this meaningless route. And what Jesus showed us and what Solomon ends up teaching us through his observation, remember the big idea one, life without God has a bitter ending. Solomon and Jesus taught us that life with God has a better ending. Life with God has a better ending because Jesus took a seemingly bitter route as he turned all of that down and then he continued to live apart from temptation and apart from sin. And as a result, that the, 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 like as, because Jesus didn't sin, he did not have to have the bitter ending of death. The Bible actually tells us that the wages of sin is death. The reason we have death is because we sinned. And when sin entered this world, we started to see death. We all have sinned. And so we will all experience death. But Jesus was the one who did not sin. He did not have to give in to that bitter ending. But what he did is he chose to submit himself to God, to take the bitter ending of death as a punishment for sin for you and for me. And after submitting to that, when Satan thought that he had won, God raised Jesus from the dead. Just as we sang a moment ago, the stone was rolled away. The stone was rolled away and Jesus was raised from the dead. And what was a bitter ending was made better in that moment. And what Jesus offers to all of humanity is he says, look, if you will place your trust and faith in me, If you will call on me to save you, I can reconnect you with the God who your sin separated you from. And you don't have to have this bitter ending. You don't have to have this bitter ending. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And what we get to see is his followers talk differently after they find this truth. They start to talk about the reality that death no longer has a sting. Just as we sang a moment ago, oh death, where is your sting? When there is life in Jesus who has connected us with God, there's a better ending. We don't have the bitter ending of the sting of death anymore because we have an eternity with a king who will reign forever and invites us into his kingdom forever. In 1 Thessalonians, it says that we don't even have to mourn death the the way that the world mourns death because we have a perspective of a better ending. And this is what Solomon observed here in chapter two, the dumb tax chapter. Verse 24 and 25, he said, so I I decided there's nothing better to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. And then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? Who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? What Solomon came to observe is that the problem wasn't the pleasures the problem wasn't the stuff or the possessions the problem wasn't that his work wasn't making any difference at all the problem was that he was doing these things without God and as Sharon said earlier during worship he was placing them ahead of God they became the thing that he was trying to find meaning from in life as opposed to as opposed to allowing God to be where he finds his meeting and Jesus being the one who could connect him with God so that then he can enjoy all of this stuff. See, there's some bad theology out there that would tell you that in order to be a good follower of Christ, you're going to have to subtract everything that seems like it feels good. <laughs> everything that's good. If something feels good, you should, you should be afraid. That's probably a bad thing. And that's not what... Solomon teaches us and it's not what Jesus teaches us either. What he says is that there is great joy in life and these pleasures that he's given within his boundaries, his way are incredible. And with him, they can have a better ending and be fulfilling and joy-filled. And they become a way that we worship him when we partake in these pleasures. There'd be a way that we give him glory when we partake in these pleasures because we understand that they're from his hand. And when he gives us possessions, we can use them to give him glory. We can hold them loosely, understanding that that we aren't gonna take them with us one day and they're here and they, 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 they will not be eternal But God is eternal, so we don't have to hold them tight. And there's a better relationship with them where we can worship God within those possessions, worship him through those possessions, worship him through those riches. And then with our work, we can take it and say, God, I want to do something that's lasting within your name. I want to work in a way that gives you glory so that this world can look in and see and see a better ending to this bitter. Ending this bitter reality that we all seem to find in this world. Lord, let me show the world. Let me show the world that life with you is better. Life with God has a better ending. I believe there's, there's, there's two responses for us today from this truth. I believe that there's people in the room today who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I don't know if God is using this conversation with this wise old teacher, Solomon. I don't know if he's using this to, to give you insight into the future of the bitter ending that's coming, or maybe you've already tried some of this and you're like, man, this is too real. Like that, that, That is describing what I'm feeling inside. I'm trying to grasp. I'm chasing the wind to find fulfillment and I'm I'm getting this bitter taste over and over again. If you stay without God, the truth is it will continue to be bitter and the ending of death is bitter. Without God, death does have a sting. Without the sacrifice of Jesus and without him saving you, you don't have that better ending. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets connected to God except through Jesus. And so today, as we pray in a moment, today may be your moment to say, you know what? I'm surrendering everything. I'm done chasing the wind. I wanna chase you, Jesus. I want a relationship with you, Jesus. But I also wanna speak to those in the room who, who already follow Jesus. Maybe you're newly following him. Maybe you've followed him for years. Solomon was not unaware of God when he wrote this. His observations were not from a time that he was unaware of God. It was a time when he he weighed out and tried without God. He tried to pursue according to worldly wisdom to see maybe the world's got something better to offer. And there's there's some of you here today myself included, who have days where you are leaving God behind and you're trying to get the most out of your day or your life, you're trying to get the most out of pleasure, you're trying to get the most out of the things that you accumulate, the possessions, the riches, the security you can build for yourself or the work that you're trying to accomplish and you're doing it without God and you're getting bitter tastes left and right and you're wondering like, I'm following Jesus, why is this not fulfilling? Why is this not fulfilling? My encouragement to you is an invitation back to daily walking with God. Jesus has made it possible for every day for you to be able to walk with God. And Solomon had a dad, King David, who wrote incredibly wise words as well. And in Psalm 34, this was David's encouragement as a song, as a prayer. Psalm 34, eight, he said, taste and see. That the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Taste and see this better taste that the Lord is good. Those who take refuge in him don't set settle for the bitter taste of a life without God. Maybe this week for you, maybe it's Maybe it's each morning waking up and saying, you know, I'm gonna grab Psalm 34, eight, and I'm just gonna pray that to start my day. God. I want to taste and see that you're good. I want to enjoy the joys that you've given me. The Lord wants you to enjoy the work that he's given you to accomplish. He wants you to enjoy the home that he's given you, the car that he's given you, the things that maybe one day you prayed you would have that now you have. He wants you to worship him with those things and to find joy in those things. He wants you to find joy in pleasures, in the bounds that he gave. He wants you to enjoy food. He wants you to enjoy sex with your spouse. He wants you to enjoy the things that he has given as a gift where you can worship him with those things and find joy in them. We just have to taste and see that he's good and take refuge in him. And so this week, it may be just morningly, like every morning, waking up. Lord, I wanna taste and see that you're good today and see a better ending to that day. So let's let's pray together. And if you're here and you wanna give your life to Jesus, I just wanna invite you to pray a prayer like this with me. Jesus, I'm done chasing the wind. I'm done looking everywhere else. Today, I wanna put my faith and trust in you. I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I need a savior, a perfect savior so that I can be reunited with a holy, perfect God. And so Jesus, I believe that you came here and you lived a perfect life that did not deserve the bitter ending of death, but you chose to take that bitter ending of death and God raised you from the dead. And you did that so that I could call on you now and have a better ending, where death no longer has a sting. Jesus, would you save me from my sins? and I'm gonna commit to follow you. God, help me to find meaning in my life from you now, from this day forward. And Lord, for for all of us here in this room, Lord, I pray that we would learn, thank you for your word, thank you for King Solomon, thank you for this dumb tax chapter that's so true about the, the struggles that we have. We so quickly run to pleasures, we run, to hoping that possessions can fulfill us. We run to our work to try to find fulfillment in our life. And Lord, we waste so much time doing all that. I pray that you would save our time today by bringing us back to you, that we would be a church that wants to taste and see your goodness. And that our joy of the fulfillment of all of these things would point to the only place we can truly find meaning and truly find satisfaction, which is in you alone, Lord. So God, we love you. We thank you for what you've done, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.